Hello and welcome to episode 182 of Effect. Licensed to Thrill? I'm Matthew. And I'm Dave. And as usual, we've got a packed programme for you today. Um, we do have a new patron to welcome to the crowd, which is fabulous. Uh, we'll come to that in a moment. Um, in the world of gaming, there's a number of things we're going to talk about there. And a little bit of news that I personally have, which I shall reveal shortly. Um, ooh, exciting. Ooh. But there's quite a lot of stuff, I think, in world of gaming, as well as that. Excellent, lovely little bit of news. Um, and then the, the the main part of the show is an interview that unfortunately I couldn't make, but Matthew, you ran with Dave Scott of Evil Genius Games uh, in advance of their Kickstarter of Everyday Heroes, which is uh, going to be kickstarting in the next couple of weeks. So it'd be great to Yeah, hear we mentioned what, Everyday what Heroes a few episodes ago, sometime in the 70s, I think. Not in the... Not in the actual 70s. What I mean is the 170th episode. Which would be a few episodes ago. Which is a few episodes ago. Yeah. yeah. So either, yeah. if you're going to reference the episode number, you should look it up and say it was in episode 177. Or you could just say... I think it's, it's episode 176, ago. actually. <laughs> did you check it? Or are you just bullshitting now? No, I, I did check it yesterday, actually, okay. uh, but well, I've that's... now forgotten. So it may not specifically be 100 in episode 6, but um, 176, but I think it's something like that. So for, for um, all those listeners who want to go back and listen to what we said before about Everyday Heroes, um, if you do that, could you remind us, because I've forgotten what we said. But um, yeah, we've got this interview later on with um, Dave Scott. And uh, as I said, I wasn't able to make it, so I shall be listening to that with as interested in there as anybody else. So that'd be cool. And that's, that's cool. kind and of... Just to confirm, it was 176, and the episode was titled Critical Fail? Question mm. mark. So two episodes, each with a question mark in the title. Okay. Look at the synchronicity we've got there. <laughs> and Seeing it was we... the first item in World of Gaming. Ah, okay. So cool. So you know how to get to it. Um, yeah, so that's what we've got lined up for today. So without further ado, Matthew... Um, but Dave, 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 before we do anything else, we what? should recognise that this episode is going to go out on the 8th of May, Dave. The <laughs> 8th of May. And what is the 8th of May? It's not, it's not, May, the, it's not May the 8th be with you, is it? Um, no, it's not, it's not uh, Sanco de Mayo either. It's, but on the 8th of May, five years ago in 2017, we published the first episode of we this very did. podcast. Oh my god, five years. It can't be Shit. five years, surely. <laughs> no, it can't. I mean, actually, um, you know, uh, Twitter, Twitter alerted me to this because <laughs> I woke up this morning and it said, um, this account is this is this is the fifth year of your account. And I went, nah, <laughs> you haven't been on. Oh wow! Um, yeah, yeah, I'd totally forgotten. I, we, yeah. I must, I must be just getting bored with the routine of doing this bloody podcast. I yeah, the, obviously, the first, we, we should probably give it up. Our first anniversary, we even had a special we made a anniversary big thing about episode, it. and I got the "Ya More Deliver, Ya More Deliver" music, "Happy Birthday" music from Sweden, and yeah. uh, ah, didn't do any of that this time. No, no, and you know, it, it's too late in the process for me to get that, and I'm editing this time, so. Can you just sing the rest of the song? 
I don't know all of the words. Well, okay then. Okay then. Let's I could give that. it a go though. Um, yeah, more deliver. No, 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 Dave, yeah, Dave, more Dave, 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 no. Okay, that's good enough. Um, okay. Uh, so uh, let's just have a little bit of a. Um, which actually so, means, which actually means, may you live for a hundred years. So we've got another ninety-five years of this oh, before we shit. qualify for that song. Really, <laughs> don't, 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 don't make us do ninety-five years more. No. I've well, already known you for half a lifetime, and it feels we might, like that. Well, we'd have to do it from day. beyond the grave, then, wouldn't we? Towards the end of that, so. Uh, well, no, because I'm going to live forever. Are you? Yeah. Okay. Have well, you noticed? I've how? still got all my own hair, and hardly any of it is grey. <laughs> well, I've still no, got no, all no. of my own hair, but yeah, but you, you know. hardly had any to begin with. Well, exactly. So, what, why does that mean you're going to live longer than me? <laughs> we're um, both, we're both because... equally fat and unfit, so we're both doomed. Yeah, absolutely, so. but. But uh, I just wondered just whether um, tone here. <laughs> whether we should talk about the high points of our life. Like yes. I was listening to that first episode, and um, uh, you know, in the mix, you're a bit quieter than I am. So I like to think we've got better at audio editing. I think that first one was a bit poor, wasn't it? You could tell we yeah. were amateurs, not really used to doing this. No, and there's but I a lot think of... we, I think we immediately improved by the second one. That we did learn lessons from that first one, and I think the second one was much better. Yeah, maybe I, I should put the first one out again in some sort of. Um, um, that's not. A, no, I don't know. Maybe I can just tweet the link. That's easier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Put the link in the show notes. So if anybody yeah. wants to go back to the very first one and see how bad we really were <laughs> compared, yeah, most most of our listeners are now thinking, what they're even worse. <laughs> how can that be? How can that be possible? Uh, yeah. So, what are your highlights from the last five years, Dave? Oh wow. Um, well, obviously. The, the big highlight of all of that is the fact that, that I'm now a published writer and I've got more writing work, you know, on yeah. the books, which is fabulous. Um, highlights in terms of the other, well, the other highlight is the fact that it's led us to this fabulous community that we have on the Discord and all these fabulous people who are so generous that they give us some of their own money to keep doing this stuff. And that's brilliant. And, you know, we, you know, I, made so many new friends out of all of those people it's a real joy so actually that's the highlight frankly that's the real um, highlight that's the real highlight Not a, a, a very close second is the fact that i'm now privileged to, to be able to call myself a game writer and designer um you know for real because people have paid me for to real. do it which is great and i've got stuff, yeah. stuff published but i mean there's so many actually you know i think um i do remember when you first suggested it and I was like, yeah, I'd never podcasted before. I had no idea what it involved. Um, didn't expect us to really last beyond an episode or two, really. And I went, mm-hmm. yeah, why not? Let's give it a go. It sounds like fun. Um, and here we are, 182, well, probably more than that, episodes later. Uh, oh, yeah. a whole bunch more. Because um, in those 182, a, a month's worth is uh, the first time RPG we did a day. Yeah. RPG a day. But then the other, the next time we did RPG a day, I I made those into specials, so they don't count as episode numbers, really. Uh, yeah. But there's another 30 to add on to the title. Plus, of course, all, the all our AP episodes. Yeah. 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 Um, huh, a lot of yeah. content we've produced so in what, five but, years. But what about you? What was your high point then? What was your... Uh, so, uh, 
I tell you what, I you know, we, we go over this story again and again. It's probably getting old and boring for some of our listeners. <laughs> but your unbridled and let let me say childish enthusiasm for the idea of doing a podcast where you could said, and we could go over to Sweden and interview yeah. the guys from Freer Legan. Oh, that's a funny thing. We called them Freer Legan in episode one. And, uh, and and now they call themselves Free League. But uh, there we go. Yeah, um, yeah. Or free, yeah, we call them Friel again. Of course, the Swedish pronunciation is something different, isn't it? Frialigen or something, isn't it? Yeah, they were, yeah. A, a, a genuine Swedish person would be slapping their hand over their face <laughs> at our <laughs> yeah. attempts to pronounce so, Frialigen. Yeah. To all our uh, genuine Swedish and other listeners around the world, um, sorry for <laughs> mispronouncing yeah. the Swedish. I think that just about- come as a disclaimer in the titles, frankly. Yeah, we do talk about Swedish games in English, very much in English. Um, and so, but yeah, so a highlight for me was uh, you saying with, uh, as I say, childish enth- enthusiasm that we should go and meet the guys in Sweden. And me I, thinking, oh, that, that never happens. Well, I and expected yet- you to completely piss over that idea. And I was sho- <laughs> I was shocked when you went, yeah, that sounds like fun. What? Hold on, I'm reaching away for the mic here. I think what I might have said, Dave, was, hmm, maybe? Yeah, which, which means God As you no. should know. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. uh, but no, actually, maybe turned out into, yeah, that works. And it, it a, did work. It was a great trip, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think our community, you know, so this last couple of years where uh, I remember, you know, we'd, we'd got enough uh, Patreon sponsors to be able to uh, subscribe to Zoom yep, just before absolutely. lockdown, and um, and so we thought, well, we've got Zoom. That was we're going to do that for for interview purposes, really, not for anything else. But then that became um, the COVID cafe. We had a great COVID cafe chat uh, last um, on Friday, didn't we? We did this absolutely, time. yeah. And that's you know that's gone on from strength to strength. So and 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 all the games we have played with those guys. First yeah. of all, in Connect, our very first. Um, um, uh, effect COVID convention yeah convention but but now we just do it all the time and i love yeah. it i love it yeah it's great isn't it it is really good cool so well, enough, enough patting ourselves on the back but yeah congratulations well done matt it was a great well done for having the idea in the first place and i, I will just take this this moment to 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 pay you tribute because certainly over the last Ooh, couple of years I like that you've done most of the heavy lifting on uh, in, on the on the admin for all of this, so um, and I just come along and spout bullshit. Uh, yeah. So I would just like to Frankly. pay tribute to you and thank you for all your effort in doing all of that. I I do, I I do recognise the effort you've put into it. So thank you, pal. Brilliant. Cool. Let's um. Let's let's yeah. Move let's on. get back onto our scheduled content. Who who do we have as a new patron this month, this fortnight, this week? Who indeed? Now um uh who not? Welcome, H-U-L-O-T. So I, I hope I'm giving it the pronunciation it deserves. Hulot's uh, already joined the nicest place on the internet, which is, of course, our Discord, and already involved himself in conversations. So uh, uh, it's great uh, to see you, Hulot, and thank yeah. you very much for your pledge. Indeed, thank you so much for your support. And it, like Matt said, it's great. Uh, you know, all the best... The best thing we get out of all of this is having people come onto the Discord and join our little community, which is fabulous. Um, yeah, so moving on to World of Gaming. So the first thing I was going to briefly mention today, which some people will probably already have heard, 
is that um, Firelock Games from um, Miami, who are doing War Stories. Oh, yeah, Firelock. They, they, they were going to pre-order uh, last month in April. It's going to be... Uh, yes, yeah, so they've had a few logistical delays, unfortunately. So um, mm. there have been issues around um, printing and accessing paper, I think, actually, very, yeah. very mun- mundanely. Um, but that means, sadly, that the pre-order for War Stories has been delayed by a few weeks. Uh, I think they're hoping to get that out now in June, was what Al said. So we are looking at a couple of months delay on that, sadly. But they are I do know that they are sorting out... Um, some of their printing options and some of the logistics to, I think, to get around some of the real world logistical issues that are basically plaguing everybody at the moment around, you know, delivery and resources and all the rest of it. So um, fingers crossed they get that sorted out quickly and the pre-orders should be up hopefully in June. Exciting. Okay, I've got a question to ask about this though. Go on then. So when, when they first announced the pre-order was happening in April, there was a lovely picture of the War Stories core book, but there was no mention at all of your campaign book, Dave. So do we know any more about the June release and whether that's going to be like a picture of two books side by side or what? Uh, I don't, actually. I'm, I'm hoping, stroke, assuming that it will be, because the, the campaign has obviously been written you know, to come out with the book. Yeah. Uh, certainly the first intention. Uh, but I haven't heard anything else um, on that specifically mm. yet. Um, fingers and crossed. And we haven't seen any pretty pictures of the cover, have we? We haven't, no. No, so I know there's a lot of work going on in the background. I mean, the book went to layout, oof, six weeks ago or something. Um, mm. Or even a bit longer, probably. But um, obviously they were finishing off the core book as well, so I'm not sure exactly where we are with uh, with the campaign. But but on the campaign, my my bit of really good news is that they are um, you know they like what I've done for Rendezvous with Destiny Part One uh, Normandy so much mm-hmm. that they have now greenlit me to get on with writing Rendezvous with Destiny Part Two, which is uh, Operation Market Garden. So it's the the Allied attempt to break through uh, Holland and into into Germany through that route in September of 1944. Again, this will be written from the... It's a continuation of part one. Part one is obviously focused Mm -hmm. on the 101st Airborne, um, the 506 PIR Parachute Infantry Regiment, which is basically the guys in Band of Brothers. Um, It's Mm -hmm. a continuation of their story. So we're telling the story still from the perspective of the American Airborne troops. Uh, But yeah, so I got the, uh, the, the green light to crack on with that last week, which is great. So I'm starting to do... Uh, a bit of the preparatory work around pulling that together. Also, I've been given the green light to work up, uh, at least in sort of pitch form, two other ideas that I've had. One is a War Stories uh, supplement based in uh, in Vietnam, in the Vietnam War. And another is going back to World War II, which is the Pacific Theatre. Now, mm. exactly what that'll be, because that's a very big theatre, that could be easily four complete supplements in itself. So I'm I'm working up some ideas there, but I'm quite keen to do. Um, oh, I've gone and forgotten the name of it now. Operation something or other, which was the, um, uh, the Operation the, something or other that that'll confound da- the downfall. Damn hun. Operation downfall, which was the American oh. plan to invade the Japanese mainland. So I'm kind of looking mm. to do a sort of counterfactual. Um, 
uh, sort of campaign for war stories, which which sees mm. the um, you know the, 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 the nuclear weapons don't get dropped, and the Americans need to invade Japan. So I've got the option to to now to work both of those ideas up into something a bit more meaty, and then see where we go with that. Also, I've been really lucky. I've been able to pitch a few other ideas to to Al and and Mike, and uh, although nothing is agreed yet. They they are quite keen on two or three of the ideas that I've pitched to them, so there might be some other sort of new games coming out further down the line, which um, which I might be able to do and then publish through Al Mike uh, Al and Mike at Firelock. So that's fabulous that's news. Exciting. I'm delighted with all of that. That's really good. You're yeah. not going to give us any hints about what they are. Um. Well, because I'm thinking, it's very early I'm days. thinking Fields of Fire, your classic, uh-huh. uh, absolutely getting it wrong prediction of the Gulf War. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, yeah. I should explain to our listeners That's fair here. Enough. Years and years and years ago, uh, Dave uh, did a kind of Gulf War adventure. You know, this is like years before the Gulf War, so he was prescient, except he had us fighting on the wrong side, <laughs> defending Iraq. Uh, from was it the Russians Iran, and the Iranians? No, the, the Iranians and yeah. the Russians were the bad guys in that in that game. Mm. So yeah, so so me and um, our old friend Mike, um, who we haven't seen in thirty years, uh, did a gate did a did a game designed a game called Fields of Fire, and in that mm-hmm. um, we ran a I ran a a campaign that was basically you were behind the lines in Iran as sort of special yeah. forces. Um, but yeah, uh, no, it's not that no. at all. So, um, okay. very early days yet, but there's, uh, um, I'm not sure there's any reason why I can't say anything. Go on, share um, it, just a little bit. So I've discussed with them my hopes and aspirations around the science fiction game that I've kind of been oh, yeah. pulling together, which is tentatively called Behold the Stars. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, this is tentative and this is a long way off before we get anywhere yet. So I haven't had a substantive conversation with them, but they're quite interested in it. And also, I've for a long time been very keen to, to do a role-playing game, or to do a game generally, actually, based around American football. And I've I've, I've thought, well, I'd like, well, let's do a, I've, I've struggled to do a card or a board game. I've been thinking about it for a few years, and I just can't get the right level of um, complexity without it being too complex. To, yeah, to, to, yeah. Do a, to do a kind of a, a simulationist game. So I've got an old game from that I bought in the 80s called Stasis Pro Football, which is brilliant, mm-hmm. but it is, as the name suggests, based on real stats from the previous season's right, games. Yes. And it's massively complicated. It's great fun, but it takes longer than an American football game to play. And an American football mm-hmm. game takes three hours to play. <laughs> you know, So it's a very, very, very big game, very long game. Um, so I'm really keen to do something. So I had the idea, let's try and do a role-playing version. And the game will be sort of, on the one hand, um, it'll have, I think, a very uh, Tales from the Loop feel around how the role-playing mm-hmm. should happen, around the characters and about what they're doing. Your character would probably start in college and then would need to play well enough to get to the draft and get into the NFL. Um, and then it will be about teenage young young angst and trouble and all that kind of stuff um but also then you need a system that will replicate game day and i think i've got a way of doing that um it's it needs an awful lot of work 
and it, it's it will need some expert American football knowledge to come to it and say that's good or that's crap. Um, I mean, I'm a I'm a great fan of American football. I know the rules very well. I've been following it for 40 years nearly. I've never played it in any serious sense. Um, I don't mm. know the ins and outs, obviously, of exactly. You know, it's like somebody. I played a lot of rugby, so I know all the tricks and all the ins and outs of rugby. Um, but I know you can have all that in American football. Obviously, not, never having played it. Um, not. I had a couple of dabbles when I was a teenager, but never having played it properly, I won't understand mm-hmm. that. So anyway, the, yeah, and there's was, some interesting social dynamic stuff because you know it could be. Uh, so I have never seen this, but there is a very popular program in America called Friday Night Lights, which is a kind of drama set around an American football team. Okay, I haven't seen that. And capturing some of the drama, you know, and I don't know what the social scene, I know what the social scene around rugby is, because, not because I've been on any rugby teams, but we know, we, we did rugby at school, and, you know, we know lots of rugby players. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, American football may be a very different sort of social scene, and that's something you'd want to try and capture if Absolutely. you're doing a role-playing game. Yeah. And the other thing which I think you ought to check out um, is possibly the worldwide wrestling role-playing game. Okay. As well, uh, which, you know, is, I mean, obviously it's not American football, but it is that thing of taking a sport. And of course, worldwide wrestling is about, uh, you know, in a way, wrestlers are role players themselves, aren't they? They're kind of laughers. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're playing, playing a part when that, they're on stage, as it were. But that stuff, you know, it, it, balancing the, you know, the stuff that's on stage and the stuff off stage is something I think that worldwide wrestling does as okay, well. Okay, cool. Not yeah, that I've ever got it, but. I wasn't even aware there was a, was a worldwide wrestling game, so I, yeah, I'll have a look. Yeah, um, but th- those ideas are 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 very very nascent, and um, yeah, yeah, they're not agreed at all in any sense for me to take them forward. I am not Rome Year Zero. Um, I yes, I think actually, so definitely Possibly Ameri- that is in the mix as well. So I think the American football one would almost certainly be Year Zero because I'd like to kind of oh replicate- sorry, uh, you. you- I talked over you and you misheard me. I said not Rome Year Zero. All right, I did mention Rome Year Zero to them, um, mm-hmm. but they I didn't think, quite. Uh, well, they, in, they in didn't hook on it. I think. I mean, Al was saying he loved all the ideas that I pitched, and I pitched about five. Um, mm. And we need to have a proper discussion in due course um, to see what uh, what we'll actually uh, go with. But the the, the two the two that they they referenced. So Mike seemed. Um, interested in Behold the Stars particularly and Al had mm. said he would, he loved the idea of the American football game um, mm, cool. but yeah so we'll see we'll see what comes to it nothing may come of it but um, no. it, it's great to be in the position of having a conversation with Al and Al is really keen um, to you know to take our relationship forward which is great because um, you know I'm keen to to produce stuff for Firelock Um and it's all really interesting stuff, and it's it's fun. He's that's a pleasure. He's a pleasure to work news. with. Yeah, yeah. yeah cool. Yeah, Thank you. Great. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, uh, what other um, news do we have from the world of gaming? A- an interesting one, actually. Uh, our friend and patron, who hasn't been on the show, maybe we should invite him on the show before the autumn, is Jim McCarthy, mm. and I saw him tweeting. And we will put a link to that tweet maybe in the show notes, so I yeah. can look at it, about Free League Arama, 
which is an online event he's going to be running in the autumn to try and do loads, loads of uh, free league games. It was going to be a year zero a thon to begin with, <laughs> but people want to play Simba Room and Merc Ball, yeah, and, yeah. and, and other stuff yeah. as well. So it's it's growing into a free league arama. Um, and uh, we should maybe get Jim on there to talk about that. But in the meantime, we'll put a link to his tweet in the um, in 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 the in the show notes. And he's got a Discord that he runs, and I think he's inviting people that are interested to that into his Discord. So that would be a way to go. Yeah, cool. That sounds great. Um, now, one of the things I noticed interestingly on the Discord is he's got a poll of uh, games that people want to play. Top of that list is Verson, and second in that list yeah. is um, Coriolis. So, great news for us Coriolis fans. That's pretty um, good, yeah. But on that list as well is Blade Runner. Yeah, Blade yeah. Runner. And that brings us on to another bit of World of Gaming news, in that Blade Runner yeah, if people is kickstarting. If people haven't heard it already, I mean, we're probably a week late on this bit of news. but um, yeah. Uh, yes. Well, no, they only started kickstarting earlier this week, but it's doing really well. Yeah, I don't know what the latest score is, but when I when I last looked at it, it'd gone over a million. Yeah, so, in dollars. Um, in dollars, yeah. I, I kind of feel feel I've got to look at it now. Yeah, Let me, me just too. Call it up. You talk yeah. for a bit. <laughs> but so yeah, yeah so if you're looking it up, one of us has got to talk. <laughs> now I can talk. I can talk. So yes, yeah, so um. Uh, as of May the third, I think it was, wasn't it? The 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 Kickstarter is up. As everybody expected, it's doing fantastically well. Um, there's, I think one of the one of the comments that I've seen has been that there's there's not been a lot of exposition in the Kickstarter about things like the mechanics and how the game will work. Uh, it seems to be running on a Twilight 2000 Year Zero system rather than a traditional Year Zero. Um, mm -hmm. But I don't think we know an awful lot more than that, do we, in terms of how the mechanics are intending to work? Not really. One of the interesting things I saw in a little interview that uh, Thomas had done with Polygon is that the it's heavily influenced, or he's inspired, shall we say, by uh, Sherlock consult Holmes' consulting, consulting detective. Consulting detective, yeah. Now I yeah, know you is, in, um, back in the day you loved that, didn't you? You kept on talking about it for ages. I don't think I ever played it. Did you not? I don't think so. Unless you ran a game for I, us back in the day. I, I'm sure I ran a game. So I had a, I had the the very first edition, which was came in a brown PVC folder. I remember. Um, I've definitely run. I, I I had a game with my family. I remember on a boat in Norfolk. So this was <laughs> put it in about. 1986 or something when i think that was the first time my family and it was my extended family i'm sure i must have run a game with the crowd you may have been at university or something possibly I yeah i don't remember having played it but i do remember you going on about it for for years yeah now interestingly i kind of lost interest in it um was that just because you played course, it enough or was it was there something about well, it that well, I, I think there's a thing about, you know, in the end of the day, it's a play once game. You know? Right. You, know, every, you play an adventure and oh, you work out who'd done it. And then you can't play that adventure anymore because you've worked out who'd done it. Yeah. Um, 
and I think there was a time when they were rele- they were releasing new content, which is meant to sort of slot into your binder. Um, but it was quite expensive, and I was quite poor at the time. If it was at university, maybe I had just started my job. I'd, but I didn't particularly feel it was worth the outlay for the new adventures. So I right. think I kind of lost interest in it then. Yeah. It's had a real revitalization, though. So at the game shop, we sell it now. It's in a different format. It comes in boxes, not um, not uh, not the not the big brown folder. Game shop. And what, also, what the, game shops that you never mention a game shop. Did I not mention the game shop? Well, that will be the game shop order shop, Dave, where I work, uh, which uh, you can now get to uh, by Googling game shop order shop and it will take you to the Facebook page. But we've also got a website now as well. Um, okay, my shilling and, is done uh, for the day. Go on, carry on. You were saying. Well done. Yeah. Good, good chilling. Good chilling. You've got that shill talent from Toto where you're and in I- the... I love that talent, you know. Did you see on the archetype <laughs> the document I had to put on? I love this shill talent. I don't, I don't have it. My character doesn't have it because he's not really that kind of character. But uh, no, I do. It's excellent. Yeah, it, it's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Uh, anyway, um, where were we? Yeah, the game shop. Was, so, so they've just released a new version, which is kind of Cthulhu-esque, and you're in the FBI, you're not Sherlock Holmes, um, which I think okay, might be that... called uh, something like Unit 221. So it's got that sort of connection with 221B. Baker Street. Um, uh, that, that sounds that, that a lot like a less interesting than consulting detective to me. Ah, uh, well, you know, personally, um, horses are courses. But yeah, what's yeah, interesting, well, yeah, yeah. I feel with 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 Blade Runner is you're right. We don't know much about the mechanics, and consulting detective is not a role playing game. Consulting detective puts you in the position of a character in the 1800s. But it's you, it's your intellect making yeah, those connections. It's a problem solving game for the clues. player rather than the player character. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so I will be interested in how they deal with that. Yeah, I game. mean, we talked before, I think, about the, the, the intention from Free League to do things like have like photograph handouts and stuff mm. that you give to the players and they can then pour over in order to try and find clues. So again, it's like you say, it does feel a bit like, uh, you know, it's testing the player's ingenuity and investigative talents rather than the Mm. character's ingenuity and investigative talents. And that might be a fine thing because people do love having, you know, real puzzles and riddles and problems to to solve in a game that they don't solve by a dice roll, which is absolutely fine. I think my... My only concern, I've probably mentioned this before, is if that is the, the focus of the game. Well, two things, actually. One is, is coming back to your point about Consulting Detective, where once you've run that investigation, you can't run it again with the same people because they obviously know, you know, they know the outcome. They know who the bad guy is. Yeah. Um, and so is there quite a lot of peripheral stuff that you'll use once and you'll never use again? It'll just sit in the drawer. The other thing is... If you want to homebrew something or design your own scenario, are you, you know, some GMs may then feel that they've got to try and replicate the style that the the published scenarios will have. And that means putting in a lot of handouts for the players. And again, that might be fine. Some, Some GMs might love doing that. I do remember back in the day, you know, doing, doing handouts and even one, ill-fated time doing an audio recording which you all just laughed at um mm-hmm. 
as as a as a clue for the players, which which can be fine. But does this then kind of force you to do that if you want to do your own games? I don't know. Probably not. I yeah. suspect. But um, it, it's it's a different it's a different approach in it, and I. I have backed it. I haven't backed it at a super high level. I backed it so I'll get the core book uh, in hard copy. Um, mm. But I just, I just, yeah, I haven't backed it. I, I have a little question mark it. floating about behind my head that I'm not. Yeah, I have to reserve judgment till I see it. And I, and you know, it's going to be a lovely book to have on my shelf. But yeah, sorry, you were you were. I, I interrupted you. Yeah, um, I, I I kind of feel um, a little bit torn about it. Uh, uh yeah i i haven't backed it yet um and i thought i was going to back it in day one and in hour one in minute one even so what's and what's then, staying your hand then well well for a start i'm poor now so um yeah that has an impact yeah. and i i uh, this week when it came out i've been um I'm i'm struggling with the fact that you know the the level i would back it at is probably the Rep Detect bundle, which is core book starter set. The special edition cover doesn't mean anything to me. I, yeah. No, likewise. The iconic kanji script there is, yeah, it's in the background of a couple of shots, but it's not iconic kanji script. If it had no. been a hologram of the woman that's on the side of the building going, ooh, yay, or whatever it is. Yeah. That's all the time. Or as some people say, cool. a, like a like an image of the um, origami Peg- uh, Pegasus. Not Pegasus, Unicorn. Oh, the origami Pegasus. Wow. <laughs> You're already expanding the... Uh, thing there. I was thinking more about Unicorn. No. Um, so, yeah, standard edition book, standard edition uh, starter set, um, PDFs and digital stretch goals is probably the level I'd go. That's uh, 70 odd quid, you know, then add another bit for postage when that comes out. Yeah. And right now I am thinking uh, there's a new guitar pedal that I want and, you know, <laughs> that's about 85 quid and I'm kind of going, I, I, I'm buying neither it's, of them at the moment. It's one or the other. But I'm thinking very best, hard about yeah. where my money goes. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's fair enough. Um, so that's the main reason. And, and as I say, it suddenly it wasn't as compelling for me as I thought it was going to be. Yeah. I do think, I mean, the artwork is fabulous, as always, as you'd expect from Martin Grip and uh, Gustav Eckeland and the others that they've got working for them. The artwork is, it's, it's almost worth getting the book just for the artwork. Um, but it does feel very alien in style. And I I kind of wondered whether, whether this might have been the moment to change the style up a little bit to make Blade Runner feel a bit different to Alien as a book. Um, it might be deliberate because it might be that they're, you know, in due course, they're going to be linking the two together in some kind of unofficial capacity and thereby you can play both in the same universe, perhaps. Mm. Um, I don't know. But, uh, yeah. I mean, that, the, the image of that's on the on the front of the Kickstarter with the, the police car hovering and the presumably Deckard or the, the, the Blade Runner holding his gun in front of it is, is absolutely stunning. I would love that on my wall. It's a beautiful picture. Um, but I, I think I would have liked to have seen it feel a little less like Alien from the pictures we've seen, personally. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I know what you mean. And black ink pages as well. Uh, I, I I just feel in that very sort of papery universe they had, or, you know, a hollow, hollow and... That mixed media universe of the first film, especially, I 
uh, I don't know. Uh, may, may, I'm not quite grabbed. Not quite as grabbed by it. I think that's mm. all I can say. I'm not quite as grabbed by it. Maybe by the end of the campaign, I will be. Yeah. Maybe I'll wait for retail. Yeah. Um, and that surprises me. But yeah, um, yeah, it yeah. surprises me too, I, considering how kind of effusive you were over the idea of it when it when it was first announced. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Because I thought, you know, uh, this was my. You were more excited than me about Alien. Uh, and I thought I was possibly being more excited than you about Blade Runner, but but I'm not. There is a thing. So I am feeling, as I say, poor. I you know I kind of weaned myself off Kickstarter at the end of last year, hmm. and I haven't done it. You know, I promised that I'd um, uh, I'd play that game we interviewed Andy about uh, last time. I said, "Oh, I'll get that." Didn't get it. Which is that mothership? No, no. The sorry, and Andy and um, between the clouds. That we talked about oh yeah, yeah. Andy Lick, Andy Lick. Yeah, Lick. Andy. Yeah, Lick. yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, I didn't. I didn't back that. I was tempted to, but but I didn't. Yeah, yeah, I said I would. I said I would, and then it came to it, and I didn't. Yeah. Sorry, Andy, if you're listening. Sorry. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, I mean, Andy. You got it, backers. It's a, it's a lovely um, game. Yeah, exactly. It's going to do really well, even without our patronage. But, um, yeah. yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah. So, and just talking about backers. So you said uh, last time you looked, it was over a million. We've got over ten thousand backers for Blade Runner as it stands today, and still twenty days to go. Yeah. We've got almost a million pounds. It's nine hundred and twenty-six. A thousand nine hundred and sixty-six pounds. Hmm. Um, so that's in pounds, and in dollars that means it's Ill- oh sorry, in um, in uh, Swedish krona that is eleven million four hundred and twelve um, uh, thousand krona, which doesn't actually sound sound like that's quite enough, but I, but never mind. Um, <laughs> I don't know it's what, a lot. what the it's exchange rate is at the moment. It's about it's one, a lot of money. It's, it's, it's a one, lot of money. One to ten, or slightly yeah. more at the minute, I guess. Um, um, yeah, and so it's doing know, well. It's, a lovely it's going license. to do well. Yeah, I'm looking forward to I getting do. it. Um, but yeah, I think like we said, I, there's just something that's taking the edge off the excitement a little bit. Yeah, and there's a little bit in there, and I'm going to be a bit mean to Alcon here, who are the IP holders. It just feels it's a little bit more. Blade Runner 49, or whatever it was called, than it is original Blade Runner. Okay. I mean, the um, game itself is set at, at that end yeah, of the between timeline. Between the two. Rather than... Yeah. It's set nearer 49 than it is 2017 or 2019, whenever uh, yeah. the original one was. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess it's the thing about... Is this going to be a really good segue? Think about licensed games, where there is a. Mm. Ca- oh, there this is could a, be a great segue. Yeah, where there is, where there is a canon um, to be had with that license, and then you are in the in the in the lap of the license holders to agree how you then place your game within that within that license. For, for me personally, yeah. I, I'm much more interested in playing the game at the time of uh, the original movie. Than the later movie, mm. I, I watched the later movie. I quite enjoyed it. It, it, it wasn't anything, you know. I, I wouldn't have. 
lost any sleep if that film had never been made. No, um, absolutely. And very rarely, you know, when, when there was a remake, so a lot of people got very, very upset when they did the all-girl Ghostbusters, for example, mm. saying, it's ruined my childhood! And and it hasn't ruined your childhood. You've still got the original Ghostbusters. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I... Although, I, again, I there was probably no need to make that film either, and it was a shit film. No. Yeah, but you can ignore <laughs> but still, it. You can yeah, ignore it. absolutely. Yeah, yeah. And you know, and I've seen it, and I can I can kind of ignore it. Um, I haven't <laughs> seen the the very latest Ghostbusters. I kind of want to see that one more, but 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 no, that's by the by. I saw that one. It, it wasn't great. I I could ignore it. I don't actually think the original Ghostbusters is quite as good as a lot of people make out. So <laughs> I think there is la- it's laced with nostalgia, isn't it? I yeah, mean, I, l- I love Ghostbusters those... when it came out, but I was sixteen or something when it did. So. Yeah, yeah, and and you can still feel that thing about being sixteen. I remember when I watched it with my kids for the first time. I was feeling, oh yeah, you know, this is a great film. It was only actually my kids going, hmm, it's a bit slow and boring. That made me think, oh, maybe it isn't as good as it was. <laughs> Although actually, uh, I think th- I think the taste has changed because yeah, if you, if you notice now, most most things that are broadcast change the image every third two thirds of yes. a second. And I was I watching think, an episode of, the, really of the Sweeney. Get, yeah, there, there's an episode of the Sweeney where like this phone is ringing for like forty seconds, and all you've got on the screen is an image of the phone ringing. Yeah, and then somebody walks in, you know, through an office door in the background, comes across and picks up the phone and goes, "Hello." You never see that anymore. What, no. you, you cut straight to the important part of the conversation where you know the clues being had. Oh, that uh, would have been that would have been. 40 different shots to cover yeah. that action which i i can i think it's i think it's a bad thing it's it's good in some cases but to do it everywhere on everything because that's kind of the derogue way of doing it nowadays is a big mistake for, if you ask me we are digressing somewhat but even yeah, even, we are even doing... can i make my original point which is <laughs> Generally, the movies do not ruin your... Ch- new versions of movies don't ruin your childhood memories of the old one. But when I saw 2049, and there's a lot to love about Blade Runner 2049, the soundtrack was brilliant. I thought a real homage to and not a pastiche of the Vangelis soundtrack. It looked good as well. Was, the film certainly looked good. It looked lovely. Yeah, cinematography was great. Lighting was great. Set design was great. Absolutely lovely. For the first time ever, I had some sort of sympathy because I came out of that film wishing that story had never been told because mm. it spoilt my memory of the story I watched originally. Yeah. Really pissed me off, actually. Okay. So I I really wish I hadn't seen it. Yeah. I think, I think like you with other stuff, I kind of just, having watched it, I just shrugged and looked back to yeah, the original. Yeah, don't need it. <laughs> I kind of forgot yeah. about it straight away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I mean, yeah. So, I th- you, yeah. so you get that with every every licensed game, I think, because you know we talked about it before. A licensed game brings an expectation, which is probably slightly different for every single person who is coming to it because of their own experience yeah. or understanding of the original thing in that license, whether it's a movie or a TV series or a book or something. Um, everyone comes to that license with a slightly different view based on their own personal experience. Mm, pardon me. Uh, 
but yeah, so it was interesting. So the the, the little segue I was talking about was um, I, I didn't see the original article, but I did see a response from uh, our friend Dave Chapman, who was responding to a I think it was a a, a blog uh, a blog article that was basically saying all licensed games are shit. And for the header of that article, they'd used the image of the Doctor Who role-playing game that Dave's been working on for the last decade Mm -hmm. and more in different very various um, guises. And naturally, he was a bit taken back by that. Um, So he then, uh, you know, read read the article, disagreed with it, and felt the urge to post his own response, which he did, which I read. And I just thought it, it was interesting that it might be worth just a little conversation um, you know, about licensed games and actually what what do they mean? Do they are they Are they all shit? Is that what you're saying? Well well no, because I think everybody knows the answer to that question is no. But I think are they <laughs> are they are they burdened with uh you know, issues or risks that other games aren't. <clears throat> so, I mean, in Dave's article, yeah. he basically says, he runs through all the licensed, well, not all, but a, a good selection of licensed games that he's played over the years that he's loved and have been great and his players have loved and have been great. Mm-hmm. Um, and the one, he, he includes the uh, the original Adventures of Indiana Jones, um, the, the old TSR game. He includes Ghostbusters, uh, Star Wars from West End games, which I had as well. Uh, James Bond 007 by Victory Games, which I've got, I can see it from my desk here. It's a fabulous, fabulous old game, that one. And he basically says that, uh, you know, with these games, he's, um, you know, obviously all licensed games aren't shit because the player experience proves that they're not because your player experience in playing those games is different. I guess the question is why? Hmm. So he is, we'll uh, post a link to his uh, his article in in there. Yes. Of course, this was probably prompted not actually by um, Dave's much respected Doctor Who Vortex game, but the announcement that Cubicle Seven were going to do a, a fifth edition version of Doctor Who, which was going to be called Doctors and Daleks. I seem to remember. Oh uh, yeah, um, yeah. So that's probably what started the uh, the your game sucks thing. And obviously, I, you know, Dave works for um, Cubicle Seven now, so I imagine he's going to be working on the D and D version. Sorry, yeah, D and D version, <laughs> the five E version, Doctor, yeah, yeah, as well as the the Vortex version. Um, you know, and he created in the Vortex version a system that absolutely emulated the the, the fiction of Doctor Who. Mm. And I guess the first question that we should address is: Can Fifth Edition or can D and D? do the same job for a bunch of licensed games we've been talking about dark souls we've been talking about um um the the, the guy with the horns from hell What's hellboy hellboy uh, hellboy that's the fellow <laughs> not hell guy at all but hellboy you know and both of those are fifth edition uh games and we were saying have they have they worked hard enough at making fifth edition something new and special that fits the genre yeah yeah so I, so I think there's a there's a, a a license game. So I'm not sure I want to specifically make this about Doctor Who because I don't think the article was about Doctor Who. It's just coincidental that they decided yeah. to use the Doctor Who 
image um, from the game, which obviously sparked Dave's concern. Um, so I, I think, you know, licensed games do come with a level of a certain expectation. And I think the ones that work really well, like you mentioned the Vortex Doctor Who and things like, I, I'll use Alien as an example for the Year Zero engine and the mm. stress mechanic. The games that work really well are those that are clever enough to take the, 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 the mechanics of the game and make them fit the genre. So just rolling the dice mm. and having your skills and doing whatever it is you do feels like you're in in that kind of environment. And I think some games do it brilliantly well. I can't speak to Doctor Who because I never played it. Um, it's not a game I ever felt I wanted to play for some reason. I'm a big Doctor Who fan, but I don't know why I never really felt I wanted to play a character like the Doctor. Um, but yeah. yeah, you were saying earlier that the mechanics of the original Vortex system in Doctor Who just evoked the the genre perfectly. The same for the stress mechanic in Alien. Um, there's probably a few others we can think of. I mean, the, the James Bond victory game um, was, was great. It really evoked the feel of the movies and the chase rules they had were brilliant. Um, but then is there, you know, is there... I guess did it come back to a conversation we had before where I said, you know, are some licenses just cash-ins? Mm. Do people just take a license, slap on any old system, you know, hesitate to say, slap on 5e, um, and then go, ha here's my great game, go and buy it, everybody who's a fan of whatever that, that thing. the license yeah. might be. And it's an easy cash-in. Um, I guess my feeling since we had that conversation before, which is probably at least a year ago, is that that is probably happening less than perhaps I feared it might be back in the day? Um. Yeah. Now, this is an interesting episode to be talking about that because later on we're going to be hearing my interview with uh, Dave Scott. Absolutely. Where, um, Everyday Hero is going to be launched not just as a modern uh, D&D game, a modern era D&D game, uh, but also... Um, is going to be uh, coming with eight, count them, eight movie licenses. Uh-huh. Well, um, why don't we listen to your chat with Dave then right now, and then we can pick up this conversation afterwards. Let's do that. What a cool. brilliant idea, Dave. I'm, I'm good now at you this, see, you know. I'm good at this. Yeah. Let's have a listen. So this week for Players in Hammam, we are speaking to David Scott. David or Dave, do you prefer Dave? <laughs> Mr. Scott. Uh, either way, my mother calls me David. <laughs> well, then I'll call you Dave. Okay. <laughs> um, now, my co-host, also called Dave, is sad he can't be here today. He's actually looking after his dad, who's just had an operation. But um, but it, it, in that way, it's it's going to be less confusing if we've only got one Dave in the interview. So, Dave, yes. uh, you are uh, head honcho of Evil Genius. And Evil Genius made an astounding announcement earlier on this week that we want to talk to you about. But we ask all our guests, first of all, to tell us a little bit about their life in gaming. How did you start? Yes, absolutely. Well, I, I, yes, I am chief janitor, <laughs> I believe, sometimes of, of Evil Genius games. And uh, I have, other than an enthusiast in gaming, I, I have no business being in this, uh, in this role uh, my background comes from uh, entrepreneurship. I was a serial entrepreneur, but you know, I started role playing. Uh, I started role playing uh, games in sixth grade. So right. I went to summer camp. I went to sleepaway camp, 
And I went into one of the cabins one night and they were playing this astounding thing called Dungeons and Dragons. And better yet, they were fighting these astounding monsters and they were actually in the middle of uh, Return to White Plume Mountain, which to this day is still my hands down favorite module of all time for D&D. And as soon as that happened, man, I was hooked. Excellent. And and so you started off at summer camp in D&D. Now, um, I'm sorry, sixth grade, just for the hour. You know, we've got quite an international audience. How old were you then? What's, what does that 11-ish, mean? 11-ish, I want to oh, say. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So about the time that I was starting as well at school, I guess. Um, and, and so D&D was, was your first love. Were you swayed by any of the other systems that were around at the time? Yeah, yeah. So, you know, even though, you know, D&D was it, right? The pinnacle uh, gaming system, I always loved modern settings. Mm. Um, I was a huge Hero and Champions fan. Mutant and Masterminds, Top Secret, Boot Hill, Star Frontiers. Oh, my God. Traveler. Oh, my <laughs> goodness. Um, uh, and then Spycraft. I love, I used to play Spycraft all the time. And so I was that annoying player in the group that always try to convince people to leave D&D and come play some of these superhero and modern day role-playing games instead. Oh, that's brilliant. You are of a like mind with us. I think um, we played D&D a little when when I first started, but then we, we went over to Traveller and pretty much played Traveller for decades after that and, and hardly oh. touched the fantasy genre at all. Um, I'll tell you okay. a funny story. So um, I, on my on my 40th birthday, I invited my old D&D friends to come. I hadn't seen them in, in decades because I had gone off to university. They had gone off to university. They had had kids and all that. Yeah. And they came. They had a gift for me for my birthday. And it was an old first edition copy of Paranoia. Do you remember <laughs> Paranoia? Yeah. Yeah. I know Paranoia. <laughs> Uh, I, I last played Paranoia when one of the players brought a chainsaw indoors and fired up a petrol-driven <laughs> one. And I thought, this is getting a bit too close to, <laughs> to actual Paranoia. So, but, so for, uh, your we, we you great for your listeners who don't understand what Paranoia is, you should look at it, pick it up. But it was a game where instead of playing one character, you played a series of clones of the same character with the expectation that your clone would not survive very long in any given adventure. <laughs> and a new one would come along. Yeah, it, it's great. And um, I, I have to tell my funny story where friend computer in an adventure I ran had discovered another place and wanted to send some clones into there. But of course, needed a sort of clone delivery system for when they died. So it would send a new clone in a rocket as soon as another one died to... <laughs> <laughs> um, now, uh, so yeah, it sounds like you've had a similar sort of background to us, but you also mentioned you're a serial entrepreneur. So we don't normally talk about other people's businesses, you know, people's other businesses, but um, what has brought you to starting up Evil Genius and what are the, what are the things you've learned out there in the world of commerce? Yeah, you know, I mean, so listen, like, I am not necessarily a game designer. Don't know, don't know. I, I love playing games, and I love to critique games when I get them, but I don't have the fundamentals of games. 
but I do about starting really, really healthy businesses that are really respective of the employees that really help them shine. And my philosophy has always been to hire people smarter than me and let them do their thing, right? And so I, I, had, I started and sold three companies. One was an e commerce company that sold comic books right. called Next Planet Over. And, and we were um, the e commerce back end for Marvel, DC, Stanley Presents, uh, Lucasfilm. Uh, the second company was a marketing automation company called Marketfish. We sold that to WP. Um, and then the third conversation, a uh, third startup was a company called Laughly. We were an on-demand streaming comedy service that we ultimately sold to Kevin Hart. Brilliant. For LOL. I've, yeah, so, I've you know, seen I, some stuff on that. I, I mean, uh, I haven't actually subscribed or anything, but I'm aware of it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you like comedy, it's definitely the place to go. Um, so I know how to build businesses, but what ended up happening was one day I, I got an opportunity to re- to meet one of my, uh, a person I'm a huge fan of, Jeff Grubb. Mm-hmm. And Jeff Grubb was one of the four, first four authors of the D20 Modern. And I asked him if I could buy him a beer and he goes, I never turn away beer. <laughs> and we got to talking about D20 Modern and how it was 20 years old and how it really ushered in this amazing um uh, a genre of modern day uh, games, including World of Darkness, including um, uh, Spycraft and others like that, and how it really changed the face of role-playing game beyond just tokenesque D&D. And then we started talking about all the things he would change if he were to do it differently, right? 2020 yeah. is hindsight. And I said, we should just like rewrite it. Like fifth edition's out. It's really good. I know a lot of people complain about that. Uh, but it works and, 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 you know, and, and this is 20 years old and we still got the OGL. So like, let's pull all this stuff together. And then after several beers, uh, he finally, uh, was convinced to join me. Brilliant. Well, good convincing there. Let's just talk a little bit about D20 Modern because it is a thing that happened in my kind of dark ages of, of gaming where I wasn't doing much. <laughs> wasn't visiting very much. So, uh, remind me, it's kind of based on, the first D&D OGL, right? Where, and, and that means kind of third edition D&D? Am I third right? edition, yeah. It was yeah. based on third edition. And, uh, you know, uh, basically what happened was Bill Slavisic said, hey, listen, we should branch out. And then pulled Jeff and pulled Chris Redman and pulled Charles Ryan together and said, we're going to do this thing called Modern, which is going to sort of take place anywhere from, you know, the earliest turn of the century, 1900s, to future. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's how they started it. And, and, and they started to build this brilliant game. By the way, we actually have a 10 series, uh, 10 episode docuseries on YouTube where we interview all four of the original designers about the entire process of making D20 Modern. So if you wouldn't mind, please, please, please we'll, push we'll put a link to that to, in our show notes. Yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. Glad. To the docu. Yeah. It's really, really amazing to see sort of how they came up with this thing. And it is, Astounding. But what ended up happening was uh, it was the birth of 11 expansion books mm-hmm. and and hundreds of third party products from guys like Green Ronin Publishing, Cobalt Press and you name it. I mean, it sparked an entire ecosystem of games. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's the amazing thing about T20 Modern, in my opinion. And that's kind of uh, now, now let's get into the meat of what Evil Genius is doing with your announcement this week. It's kind of pointing at that using the system to spawn a whole bunch of games. So um, if I just come to your press release here, we have got um, loads of movie licenses. Uh, The only one I'm kind of missing and thinking, 
surely everyday hero should have big big trouble in little china as well isn't that the archetypal <laughs> everyday hero movie but, but yeah we've got all Jack sorts Burden. of things yeah I'm yeah just... you know and so uh so, so you know when we created this game you know if you think about sort of how D works right it's got a rule system and that's dungeons and dragons and the mm-hmm. rule system is in its fifth edition and that tells you how to do stuff like hit, hit monsters, how to defend yourself, what it means to be able to run. Um, and then, um, then there are campaign settings. And the campaign settings are really where the action happens, right? Which is mm. Forgotten Realms, Eberron, Ravenloft. And so when we started to take a look at the model that D20 had, they had stuff like Dark Matter you know, and D20 Noir and D20 Future. And these were all fictionalized versions of your favorite uh, modern day action genres, right? One was based on psionics. One was based on hunting werewolves, things along those lines. But what I didn't want to do is I didn't want to do the same thing. I didn't want to to create a new New York, you know, or, or like a faux, a faux Germany. I felt like that was insincere. I felt like it was too much work. And I kept on saying, gee, you know, I'm a huge lover of movies. And all these movies have already done a lot of world building. Mm. So rather than me recreating these worlds, why not just use the worlds that are already richly defined? And that's what began our process of talking to movie studios and seeing if we could use those as being the campaign settings for uh, the Everyday Hero setting. Right. Now, and this is kind of why I wanted to have a chat with you, because as I mentioned earlier on, you know, Free League have done this a couple of times as well. You know, they reached out to, or I can't remember who reached out to, but you know, they, they got a deal with uh, Fox, now Disney, on Alien. Um, they've done something similar with Alcon for, for Blade Runner. But that looked to me like quite a complex process, and particularly when it comes to approvals. You know, I've, I've been involved in writing Battle of Corbuck and you know getting getting approvals what we thought were relatively minor decisions turned you know into a little bit of a headache sometimes you're going to be doing that am I right with kind of eight of these in one times eight (laughs) yeah and and I gotta tell you it it is as difficult and challenging as you described (laughs) Uh, working with these guys because it, it, it requires creative Creative input. I'll just let you know for one of the properties that's not yet announced yet. Oh, there's more still to come. There's more still to come. We actually had to pitch the main actor, who is a very, very famous A-list main actor, and convince them about the product. Then we had to to fit. Then we had to pitch the extremely famous director, and we had to convince him to actually go with it. So, like. It is an extremely complicated process because think about it. We're we're we're, we're changing their IP. We're expanding the story. We're right. we're you know, and and so that requires a tremendous amount of approvals uh, down in LA. Yeah, no, I can I can imagine that. And uh, you're right. It's about the IP, isn't it? And what then becomes canon and things like that. I, I'm uh, let's let's talk about some of the specific games we've got though. So, um, you know, films that I've really enjoyed. Well. I really enjoyed most of the films here. Um, funny enough, I will tell you a little funny story. Uh, that um, that moment when we gave up playing Paranoia because somebody brought a chainsaw in, we'd also been watching Highlander that day. And so uh, that's always stuck in my memory. Um, so that's nice. probably 
of the of the eight you've announced already, Highland is possibly my least favourite, and possibly for that reason. But um, it's uh, Kong Kong uh, Skull Island was surprisingly brilliant. I I was thinking, you know, here's another Kong. It's going to be a bit of rip-off. Oh, great. It's got Samuel L. Jackson in it. You know, that'll add some quality to the whole thing. But actually, it was astoundingly good. And I feel kind of underrated. So what's the process with, with, with something like that? You know, who did you go to to get Skull Island in the bag? Yeah, you know, and, and, and I agree with you. I walked out of that film going, wow, that was a really good D&D session. Yeah. Because it had all the elements of a good D&D game. It had a group of... Uh, a group of a hero, a group of heroes, which ranged from scientists to fighters to what have you. It had monsters that you had to go fight. It had an objective, right? And so, like, I was like, "That's a really, really good D and D session." Um, and that's why I'm super excited. This is actually my favorite property. I'm super excited about it. And the reason I'm super excited about it is because we're actually going to bring the concept of hunting monsters, monster hunting, mm-hmm. to the modern day world, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when we started talking to Legendary Pictures, which owns the IP for this, they gave me what's called the uh, MonsterVerse Bible. And the MonsterVerse Bible is a 1,000-page document which lays out the next 20 movies in this space. Wow. And so I now have the – I have not only um, the, the pictures, names, and stats – of every single creature that has been in any Godzilla or Kong movie before, I now have the next 100 monsters that they're going to be releasing. And, and, and you I are obviously NDA'd up to the wazoo with that one, aren't you? Correct. Yes, yes, yes. I can speak about none of it. All I can do is say I have it in my possession. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and so, but, but, but what I was convinced by is there's an extremely rich, rich storyline in the world that only a portion of it has really been discovered, right? Mm-hmm. And so what, what do we know? What we know is, is that there are these creatures called Titans. Um, Kong is one, Godzilla is one, and, there are, and, and they are a, a, a species in and of themselves that are, uh, that are as old as time. Mm-hmm. What we also know is that there are beasts that live in these worlds. Uh, I was actually looking at, uh, 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 I was actually watching Kong Skull Island clips the other day on YouTube and the, the one where, where Kong gets attacked by the, 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 uh, 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 the squid, the giant squid oh, right. yeah, yeah. in the water. Right. And then he, mm. he eats it, you know? And, you know, and so, so, so every step you take on Kong, Kong Skull Island, there's always another sort of like creature yeah. that can attack you. Right. Um, it screams monster manual. It screams mm. monster manual. Um, but then there's also these corporations, which you're not exactly sure whether or not these corporations are corrupt or not corrupt. No, um, yeah. And then you've got corporations like um, in Godzilla versus Kong, where they're creating Mecha Godzilla, and they have their own initiatives. You've got other corporations which are doing gene splicing of these these monsters. So you got that whole dynamic. Um, and so when you pull it all together, it creates an extremely rich story, which is which is um, you know which is um, yeah, uh, which leads into the monster hunter world, which I am so inter- so extremely fascinated by. So this is going to be great, isn't it? Not just for existing role players, but for fans of 
the movies themselves are kind of it's going to work as a little bit of a source book for the world of that movie, even if they never pick up a dice. I mean, obviously, the intent surely is to get people maybe who've never picked up a dice to start playing. But uh, but a lot of people may well buy these books just for the content that you're going to put in them. Yeah, you know, and so and I'll tell you, we have three books planned. Uh, so this is not just one. We're going to right. create a tremendous amount of source books around this. Uh, we also are talking to the studio about being able to create a source book about Hollow Earth, which Ooh. is its own thing, right? Yeah. Above and beyond Skull Island, Hollow Earth has its own set of creatures, its own set of flora, fauna, history, magic items. You know, King picked up a magic axe. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it screams D&D to me, um, which is what I, what, I love, what I love about it. So we have a whole series of books planned. Uh, and what's funny about it is, is when, if you, if you watch the documentary that we created, Bill Slavisek talks about his creation of Star Wars RPG, mm-hmm. uh, the one that Wizards of the Coast did. And what he said was, um, it was amazing, because at the time I didn't have the internet. So yeah. I had to do all that research myself. But not only that, but the majority of the creatures that you see now that are in Star Wars movies, he goes, I named them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Because they didn't have names. It was like the purple guy or the alien number three. Um, and so, he, in, in fact, a lot of the work he did has become canon. Has become canon, In yeah. Star Wars. And, and I would love to be a part of that, to be able to create some things that are going to become canon in the future and upcoming MonsterVerse films. Brilliant. Okay, let's not uh, let's move away from the MonsterVerse and just quickly cover some of the other ones as well. Um, so, uh, The Crow, I know has been a thing that role players have wanted to do ever since the movie came out. And, you know, and in contrast to Skull Island, which is, as you say, the MonsterVerse is very much an active project by the, by the IP holders there. I, I, I have heard rumours that there's going to be a new Crow movie sometime soon, but that's quite an old movie. And obviously, if there was a series intended, it was brought to a sudden halt with that tragic death of Brandon Lee at the time. So what about what does the crow mean to you, first of all, as a fan? And what does it mean to the company in terms of an IP? Well, you know, this is an interesting one because it wasn't necessarily on my radar initially. Um, when I wanted to go after these movie licenses, I started with the premise that I wanted to recreate a lot of the worlds that had existed in D20 Modern. So um, urban, art, urban fantasy, for example, which is built in urban arcana, things along those lines. Um, and, um, uh, it was not on my radar. It fell in my lap. Um, but what I did was I actually did a survey of over a thousand of our fans. Um, and I asked them to rank order about 20 different movies that we were talking to at the time. And I was shocked that Crow was number two, right mm-hmm. behind Highlander. <laughs> Sorry about that, Matthew Highlander. Was yeah, yeah. yeah uh, like, <laughs> I'm going to ignore Highlander, but you know, a lot of people love it. I know that. <laughs> and then when we started talking to Pressman Films, who owns the rights to it, they let me know that the movie has officially been greenlit mm-hmm. and it, it is going to production in the next year, which means that we're in a perfect position, not only to sort of leverage on the nostalgia of the Brandon Lee film, but then also to be able to pick up where they left off for the new film that's actually coming out. And I love that. Oh, that's brilliant. Now, another older film. I, although uh, there has been recently Last Blood, Rambo. What's the concept behind the role-playing game of Rambo? You know, for me, I feel um, 
I, you you said how great a D&D session Skull Island is as a film. And that's obviously right with the, you know, party of people. But, you know, Rambo's one guy on his own versus a bunch of cops in the woods. How has that become D&D? Yeah, well, you know, for first and foremost, we actually have a license to the entire Rambo franchise. Right. So Rambo, First Blood, Rambo Part 2, First Blood, I believe is what it's strangely called, um, or Rambo First Blood Part 2, and then Rambo 3, uh, primarily. Um, and I just, honestly, like, I can't see doing a modern-day action movie without a Stallone, without anyone saying the word Stallone, right? <laughs> like, like, he defined the genre, and I felt very strongly that we needed a Stallone property, uh, and it was, it was either this or Cliffhanger. <laughs> so, uh, now, this is this possibly the one with more staying power. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I mean, think about it. The, the whole concept behind Rambo number one, I thought was a beautiful story, mm-hmm. which is around a Vietnam vet that comes back to a hostile world. Um, and my first pitch to them was a, a, a group of Vietnam vets that come back to a hostile world that have to survive in the forest for seven days until their their uh, their colonel comes and gets them. Right. Yeah. That's a really beautiful adventure, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But when you start to think about the future Rambo, it's all about these covert op missions to be able to quell insurgents, to take out terrorists, things along those lines. Um, and, and maybe you're not a one-man army like Rambo is, but maybe you're a, an elite party that does yeah. the same thing. And I think that's the direction we're going to take the Rambo uh, property. Uh, that could be quite exciting. I'll tell you what it immediately makes me think of, though, from a more recent film, and that's The Five Bloods. Uh, do you see yeah. that? The Spider-Man yeah, film? Yeah, yeah, I love that of film. Course. I love right. that film. Um, and, you know, an actor's, you know, famous actor, uh, I guess not not necessarily toppling actors, but actors we've seen in many other things kind of taking on some of their characters, like uh, the guy from who, who was the... Uh, I think it was the mayor in the wire. Um, you know, he used his catchphrase, which I won't repeat on this family podcast there. I mean, just the way he used to say, it. I love that. Um, so I guess I could yeah. take that Rambo book maybe and play the five bloods with it. Yeah. You know, and we, we also, we, we were trying to get tropical thunder for the same reason, mm. you know, which is another story like this and what have you. But, but the idea is, is that what we're going to map out in this campaign setting is the hostile world right of of um dictators and yeah. alternate agendas and things along those lines uh with the idea that there's a vehicle which allows off the books projects to come out to right, be able yeah. to fight for good so i want to move on to how these are all going to happen so far i've seen some lovely covers here you talk about Kickstarter, am I right? Uh, yeah, so sorry, the Kickstarter is going to happen on May 17th. So we're just a couple of weeks away from officially launching the Kickstarter. So we're looking at the Kickstarter in a couple of weeks. So this is very timely. And uh, we will, have you got a, a a holding page up on Kickstarter already? We do, yeah. Yeah, we do. We've got a holding page, which I'm happy to supply for your listeners. Brilliant, we'll put that um, in the show notes. As of the time of this recording, we have 11 days, 15 hours, 15 minutes, and 54 seconds to launch. <laughs> Brilliant. And so. nice to time it like that. Um, and <laughs> so it, what's the product going to be on that Kickstarter? Is it going to be like a core book plus one or more of these 
properties in that Kickstarter? Right. Yeah. So let, let's talk a little bit about that. Um, so, so our Kickstarter ranges anywhere from 25 bucks to $500. And um, so the first thing is you can buy the core rule book. You can buy it in PDF format or hard, or hardcover. Uh, we also have commissioned a, a, a 20th anniversary alternate cover, which, which celebrates D20 Modern. <laughs> that book will, will actually be signed by all four of the original designers. And that'll go for $80. Then as add-ons, we will, we will add on all eight cinematic adventures, one for each movie. Each cinematic adventure is going to be a hundred page document, a hundred page book, which is going to be similar to a polyhedron magazine. So half of it will be an adventure in set in the world. And then the other half of it will be game mechanics that support the world. Right. So for example, for the universal soldier book, we're going to have a, an entire rule set for cybernetics. Gotcha. So you can bring cybernetics into any game that you have that's fifth edition compatible, compatible. And then we'll have an adventure that is specific to universal soldiers. Now, if you don't want to spend $20 per book and you want to get them all, you can actually buy the season pass of adventure. This will give you a 20% discount on each book. So for all three, all eight books, you'll pay like 130 bucks or so. Gotcha. And what will happen is, is that when we start to release these, which is going to likely be in 2023, we're going to send you a brand new book every six weeks. Mm. So loads of great regular support. That's right. Right. And the, the other thing I briefly wanted to touch on, um, obviously you're a black owned company here. Um, what does that mean for your employers and for representation in the creative team? Yeah, you know, it's funny. I, um, you know, obviously I'm black owned just because simply that's my heritage and, I, and, and that, that is what I am. Uh, but, um, you know, by virtue of that, I've been able to attract some really phenomenal black employees, mm-hmm. community managers, game designers, things along those lines. Uh, and, I, and, I'm, and I'm constantly surprised by how supportive the industry is of that, um, allowing uh, us to sort of tell our story and things along those lines. Now, at the end of the day, we're, we're still just people putting out products we like that we think other people will also like. Um, but I'm also appreciative of, of walking into getting receiving a warm welcome into an industry, which not for any reason other than um, it just happened to be this way. It had been primarily dominated by white males. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, while I played role playing games, I played role playing games with primarily white males. I remember going to Gen Con when it was in Wisconsin and there, you know, there was a line for the men's room. There weren't a line for a women's room. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, I've seen that change significantly over the last uh, five years, decade or so. Mm-hmm. And now you're seeing everybody there. And that's a wonderful thing. And to the extent that I can encourage other people to start game businesses that didn't think it was previously possible. Um, I love that. Yeah. That, that's brilliant. To, brilliant to hear. Um, so where do you, obviously you're talking about more, um, more licenses coming up in the future. Uh, just briefly, where do you see this line going? Are you going to do generic stuff? Is there a, is there a new boot hill or a, maybe a Western license uh, in mind that you have? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so there, there are more boxes I want to check, right. I, I want to be able to tell a Western story um, and I'm not sure which IP will, will support that. I want to be able to, to tell a zombie story. 
mm-hmm. uh, zombie apocalypse story. And the great news is there's so many beautiful stories out there. It's just a matter of us to decide which one we want to tell it under. Um, and, uh, you know, I want to tell a, uh, an urban fantasy story. Right? Yeah. I want people to be able to cast magic. And so there are things that are on my checklist that I want to go and pursue. Um, and so those will be my priority for 2024. And then I also anticipate every single year we'll actually do a brand new season passive adventure. So mm. there'll be a, there'll be eight new ones for 2024. There'll be eight new ones for 2025. Uh, uh, some that didn't make the cut for 2023 will definitely be in 2024. Um, I can't tell you the names, but they're super cool. Um, and uh, my idea is that we'll, we'll just keep going with this as long as the fans like it. And just um, just uh, let me sense check something. A bit earlier on, you said that that Skull Island was going to spawn three books. Do you see one of those coming out every year for the next three years? Yeah, I think so. It's a three-year deal. So, uh, um, and I'm not exactly sure what the pace will be. It'll be t- dependent on this creative process. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but yeah, we are going to produce a series of books and maybe, maybe every six months instead, just because they'll work off each other. Uh, we also have the same plans for Pacific Rim. So mm-hmm. we are going to do a series of books for Pacific Rim. Um, because there's, there's so much about mech building, yeah. you know, I want people to be able to build their own mechs. They're the Kaiju are extremely interesting. Right. Um, and so we really want to explore that there's the Pacific Rim black series, which has added a whole bunch of cannon that we can use in our game that really develop out the world. So there's a lot of story to tell for Pacific Rim and I want to be able to have the room to tell it. Um, and so we'll probably do three or four of these, um, uh, you know, um, that we'll, we'll probably reveal another one to two big ones like that um, in order to flesh out the, the world for sure and the campaign Brilliant. settings. But when, you, when, when it comes to reveal some of those, you can come back and we can have a great chat or, or uh, send some of the designers and we can talk a bit more about mechanics. I've avoided the mechanics questions for you guys, seeing as your as your chief janitor or or top dog or um, head honcho, whatever you are. I'm not getting into the detail of each of these games, but it's been really good talking to you, Dave. And thank you for yeah. making the time to talk to us. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me on. And I'm excited to hear what your readers, your listeners have to say once they listen to this uh, podcast. Brilliant. And uh, we'll put all the links that we've discussed in the show notes. Um, so thanks very much. All right. Take care. What have you got against Highlander? Come on. I've got, I've got everything against Highlander, not least what I mentioned in the interview that, that the incident with Keith Hornsblow and the chainsaw happened <laughs> in, on the same, um, 24 hour marathon where yeah. as well as doing, um, paranoia for 24 hours, we also managed to watch Highlander. But that's, uh, but not, also that's not actually, Highland. That's not Highlander's fault, though, is it? That's Keith. That Holmes isn't Highlander's fault. fault. No, but Highlander's actually a pretty crap movie. I'm going to say this, <laughs> and it's a hugely, hugely crap franchise. And I, this is a hill upon which I'm prepared to die. How can there only be one, and then there's a bunch of sequels in a TV series? Just answer me that. Well, it's it's obviously obviously that they got it wrong. They were they were mistaken, or they hadn't got rid of all of them. Maybe. So you mean to say uh, there can't only be one? Actually, there can be loads, and all the fighting they're doing is absolutely pointless. <laughs> well, it might be that there could be only one, but actually, there's many more of them out there than they realised. Yeah, perhaps. Yeah, perhaps. Um, no. So I've, 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 I've got a lot of nostalgia for Highlander. I loved it when it came out. I did watch it again not so long ago, and there is a lot wrong with it. <laughs> putting, putting aside well your concerns around um, around the actual plot 
uh, you know, of a key element of the plot, which is a, a, a reasonable, a reasonable point, I guess. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, Christopher Lambert isn't the best actor the world's ever seen. Um, Sean I loved Connery, him in Subway. Sean Connery obviously can just do what the fuck he likes whenever he turns up, because you know, yeah, doing that, so- doing. Oh, I'm Sean Sean Connery, and I'm I'm from Greece or Spain or wherever I was from. Egypt, or uh, yeah. in a you know, not looking like that ethnic uh, group whatsoever. <laughs> not even not looking you know, at all tanned. Well, and definitely uh, I think not he was. Yet. I think he was tanned, but he looked like he'd just been on holiday for a fortnight before he came on to set. Um, and <laughs> right. obviously, he did everything in a in a Scots accent. But that's fine. I mean, I like Sean Connery. I think he's very good. Uh, he was he was the best Scottish Irish. Uh, policeman in The Untouchables, which is one of my favourite films, despite his awful, well, lack of attempt to do an Irish accent. Um, but yeah, but yes, there is a lot wrong with that film. There's a, uh, the soundtrack's very good, though. Anything with a Queen soundtrack in it. I mean, Flash is probably one of the shittest films ever, but it's got a Queen song and Brian Blessed in it, so it's great. Whatever right. Else so, saying. welcome to the last episode of the Effect Podcast. Because sadly, <laughs> after you've said that, Dave, we are not working together anymore on anything. Uh, do you have a different opinion on Flash? Do you then? I do. I mean, yes, it's shit, but it's intentionally shit. It is. I'd love it. Also, it. has I, Peter Duncan being killed. If you remember Peter Duncan. Yeah, Peter, Peter Duncan, Duncan from, from Blue, Blue Peter. Blue Peter was the guy who stuck his yeah. hand in the big woody thing that Flash had to and got stung and, yeah. and died. Yeah. And anyway. um, uh, somebody that we were talking about uh, yesterday, so the, the guy in the mask being um, the chap out of Depart- Department S and uh, Jason King, whose name I've now forgotten, with the fabulous moustache, uh, and him melting and all the kinky bdsm stuff that was going on there in a kid's film it's perfect there is nothing wrong at all with uh with with flash gordon uh, that that is a hill upon which i will die there's a lot of hills where you've died recently <laughs> uh, there'll be you, at least two in this own episode yeah exactly you, you must be you know you must be um the Highlander. But you can go and die I'll on let the you and... have Highlander. I'll let you have Highlander because I'm keeping Queen and I'm keeping um, Flash. Ah, <laughs> Gordon's alive! It's fabulous. There, um, is, there is something quite good about it, but it is shit film. Anyway, let's move on. Yes, intentionally shit. Uh, anyway, yes. moving on. So, so well, actually, this, this kind of touches upon what I really like about what evil genius are doing as as dave said in that interview and i like it more having interviewed him than i thought beforehand so beforehand before i'd interviewed dave one might have said oh god here's a bunch of film companies cashing in on what they see as a burgeoning role-playing market and uh, pushing out any old shit they've got um uh, uh, you know and sticking sticking it on top of D &D and calling it a licensed product yeah but actually I really like, first of all, I like Dave's approach and that he's, he's not, these aren't just licenses that people are cashing in on license. His approach has been, we need, uh, the old D20 modern had all these different genres. We need to replicate those genres. And the best way of getting people involved mm. in those actually is to choose a film or license that people know that kind of does that genre. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I, you know, if just, you want to do... I was just going to say, I'm just going to interpose uh, a comment. Is it still appropriate to call it D20 Modern? Considering... Right, okay. It's the 20th <laughs> anniversary of D20 when D20 Modern. D20 Modern came out. It's it's D twenty right. middle age now, isn't it? Really, I mean. yeah. <laughs> well, I mean that so D twenty goes you know, when they sit down and can't eat pizza right before bedtime. Everyday Heroes <laughs> is a modernization of D twenty, so it's D twenty modern modernized, modern modern. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry. That was um, just you were yeah you were just talking yeah. about the genres. Sorry. So, you know, if if you want to do a genre where there's giant monsters attacking it and everybody knows, well, you know, that's that's Godzilla with the with the with the serial numbers filed off, why not actually just go to the guys that own Godzilla and say, Okay, we'll do a bunch of books and we're gonna start off with the most D and D like film you've done recently, which is Kong Skull Island, but we will expand that out to this monster hunting thing because you know there's connections between kong and the latest godzilla films um the crossovers and all they're trying to build a an mcu out of all those monster movies why not ride that one why, why do the extra mm. work in creating something that's not quite as good as king kong when you could actually go and say can we do king kong um i, I guess there's a question here isn't it of, of how much latitude they're being given whether whether the license just allows them to use the name because having had a little bit of insight into some of the, you know, the, the, the issues that come up with the licensing around Alien, multiplying that by like eight, as it is for, this, for the first yeah. Kickstarter, the first year, feels immediately well, like he did an, say absolute, that, an absolute nightmare of trying to actually deliver anything. Unless the license is different, in which case they just... I'm really just no, no. I I think the license is much the same. You know, he talks yeah. about that in the early part part of the interview, and then says, um, uh, "You know, it's going to be difficult. You know, um, all these things have got to be run past it. So it's what you've done on Alien times yeah. eight. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I think what he's doing is he's building relationships up with you know that the, the, there's a want on both sides. So I think the people he's working with. Um, soon to be there so one of the things for example he said you know he still hasn't quite found the right urban fantasy he wants to do modern day urban fantasy yeah and yeah. when he was out looking for that he got the crow but the mm. crow doesn't quite fill his need he's very excited about the crow um uh you know about having that that crow thing but it's not quite filling his urban fantasy need so he's still got his fingers out for the right urban fantasy license yeah. it's going to be the oh, okay. one that does the game that they want to do similarly there isn't a western there but he really wants to do a western so you know what what are the western licenses that he's going to um to grab chase down to, yeah to do western um yeah, so you know i i think it's a, a symbiotic relationship yes you do have to deal with all those license holders but importantly I think it's a way of getting more people into playing the games that we all love. Yeah, potentially. Yeah. I guess, I mean, it, you know, if, like you say, if, if somebody gets into the game because Everyday Heroes comes up with a license that they are particularly excited about and it makes them look at it, then, you know, a bit like Aliens done for a lot of people, then that's a really good thing. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm just looking across the list of these. So um, Pacific Rim... Kong, Skull Island, Highlander, Escape from New York, The Crow, Universal Soldier, Total Recall, and Rambo. 
Now, I mean, Rambo is is <laughs> a num is a number of films now, and yeah, yeah, I think it's you know it's called Rambo for a reason because Rambo goes around on his own doing stuff. So does that? How you know? Is there an issue there about some some of these licenses maybe? And expanding well, that, you know, that's an interesting one. So he was talking about, well, this is about vets in mm, a, coming back yeah. into a hostile world from the war. Um, but you, if you remember, I said, oh, right, okay. So one of the best films I've enjoyed actually about vets uh, post-Vietnam post War is The Five Bloods. Have you seen that? I haven't. No, I want to see that, though. Um, you must see that. That's yeah. great. I really love it. Mm. And you know it's it's dealing with uh, you know a black unit um, kind of dealing with the racism they faced in during the war and yeah. coming back to modern day Vietnam. Um, it's great. I really enjoyed it. Fabulous film. Yeah, because um, they, they go back said, to oh, find so the body of one of their old mates, don't they? I think. Yeah. Body well, home. and that- it's not just a body. There's there's other stuff going on. Okay. Okay. I will Fine. leave hanging since you yeah, no I don't spoilers, want to spoil it then. for you. Yeah, I definitely want to see it. Yeah, um, for sure. But definitely, definitely well worth seeing. Because um, it's, it's quite interesting. And the, I said, oh, so could I take the Rambo yeah. thing and do that? And he kind of went, mm-hmm. So obviously, yes, you could, but he's not going to say you can because he's got to make Rambo films. He hasn't got a Spike Lee license. Um, yeah, maybe he should have tried to get the, the Five Bloods rather than Rambo. Yeah. But um, yeah, so yeah. so the thing for that is interesting though because I mean the original First Blood movie, I think it was a very underrated movie at the time when it came out, and it was the first film really to to take on the 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 effects of of the war on on those veterans who've come back, and mm-hmm. but it, it it was never seen as a film doing as doing that because that's just the that's the climax that's the finish. Deer Hunter thing. gets that praise, doesn't it? Um, yeah. But it's it's seen as an action movie because you know Rambo's yeah. running around the hills, being chased by the police and, and out, outwitting them. Um, the cover that they've got on the on their website immediately made me think of Rambo Two, where yeah, you know, he's running around blowing up bad North and Vietnamese to be fair, people. Dave rescuing. does say it's a lot more about Rambo's two and three than it is yeah. about Rambo One. Yeah. Although I think that the first one is going to be about a unit. I was thinking maybe he should have licensed uh, uh, the A-Team instead of Rambo, because similarly, yes. they come back from Vietnam <laughs> and and then they start doing good in the world. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would have been, that would have been, that's a good idea, actually. I, yeah. I think that, that would work. Um, yeah, because, so yeah, I think, you know, the first Blood, the original Rambo film, deserves a lot of credit. And actually, Sly Stallone at the end of that, the last scene he acts that really well and i'm not a big mm. fan of him as a as an actor actor but he, that was pretty good uh no, if you haven't seen it which i'm sure everybody has but if no, you haven't see it it's a great film i did i did like uh what dave said about well if you're doing all these you know action films you've got to have a stallone film and it was either that or um um oh god I can't remember what the, the one with the mountain climber and the ice. oh ah. point point break was it no no, it's gone out of my head. Anyway, it's in the interview. Guys, you've just listened to the interview. Yeah. Yes, we have just listened to the interview, obviously. Um, <laughs> cool, cool. Yeah. No, it's, it's great to have him on, though. And I think, you know, this, it's, 
it does look like it's going to be pretty good. Um, I think there yeah. also might be a thing about oh well, you know, I've got I've got everyday heroes. I want the set, so I might buy up. Yeah. Not not necessarily me personally, but a customer might want to buy up. Mm. So I mean, of, of the things they've got Next. there, the, the things that I might be interested in, if I was gonna, if I had unlimited money, I'd probably get Escape from New York. I'd probably get Kong Island. I and thought might, you'd you'd get Escape from New York. That might be it for for those ones actually. Immediately, oh, Pacific Rim. Nah, Tom loves Pacific Rim and uh, and yeah. D and D, but with with Big Mecca, that excites me. Yeah, I'm I'm, um, I'm I'm not such a big fan of Pacific Rim particularly. Um, nah, I, uh, or Universal we like Soldier. The films. Um, no, Universal Soldier is probably not one for me. Total Recall um, might work if you wanted to put it play a game in that kind of universe. Unless yeah, that's a fun universe. I mean, that's a great the, the original. I haven't seen the the remake, but the original is, is yeah, the original Paul Verhoeven movie is really good. Yeah, that's interesting. Actually, I didn't. You know, I don't know what the licensing is around those two movies. Whether yeah. whether it's both of those movies, it looked from the from the cover, and I didn't talk with Dave about this at all. But it looked from the cover like the first, the the Paul Verhoeven one. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. Uh, Oh, funny so, yeah. enough, I saw somebody it's... saying somebody should license Flesh and Blood, which is Paul Verhoeven's 16th century, 100 years war or 30 years war. I can't remember. Uh, okay. Some continental war. Sorry? No, I was just going, ah, okay, is what I said. Yeah. Uh, so somebody was saying that. Uh, and then and then somebody else answered on Twitter. Oh, I've never heard of this Paul Verhoeven. <laughs> Where have oh, you been all God. these years? How the mighty have fallen. Well, yeah. I was just going to say also, the the one thing you probably want to see along that list there is um, Robocop, the original Robocop. Yeah. That would be cool. Obviously, only the original Robocop. But the, that yeah. is the thing. That comes back to that point where, you know, just like we're feeling a little bit with Blade Runner, you know, does the license holder not want you to do the really good film, but they want you to do the crappy remake? What do well, you do the there? Crappy do you have remake to... has got like slicker images and you know slicker yeah. branding and stuff. Perhaps I'm sure it has, but I wouldn't but... want to do a thing in the world of the second, of not the sec, um, you know, the most recent, the, re- the remake, version. the remake. Yeah. yeah, there was something about the original that that it was futuristic, but it also placed that story in a in a time that was not so far ahead. Yeah. So it felt it felt familiar. Like the like yeah. the police station felt like any police station in uh, you know in any in Hill Street cop Blues. series in Hill Street Blues yeah or, or any. yeah and that was great so you had the technology and all of that as well as you had the the stuff that was really relatable it felt very close cool well we've banged on well quite brilliant a bit today haven't we yeah all about licensing so um, job done what are we going to do next time in Don't a couple know. of weeks okay Don't know. So, listeners, <laughs> next week, we next time, we have no idea what we're doing, but we'll hopefully think of something before then. We usually if do. If you've got any ideas, give us a shout, put it on Twitter, uh, give us some feedback, Come, write to us at feedback at effectpodcast.org, effect, of course, with a K. Talk to us on Twitter. If you've got anything we want us to do in two weeks' time, give us a shout. Yeah. That sounds cool. Let's 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 get the let's get the audience working for a diff, for a change, eh? Come on, guys. <laughs> yeah, and I tell you, if not, then I like to think that in two weeks' time we might have at least shared with our uh, silver level patrons 
the first book, at least, of our new version of Tales of the Old Tales West. Of the Old West. So it is very talk close. A bit about that. It, it is. is very it is close. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, that will be good. So maybe. Yeah. Okay. So right we then. shall return in two weeks' time. Um, yeah. So it's goodbye from me. And it's goodbye from him. And may the icons bless your adventures. Damn, I forgot to get Dave to say that. That would have been great. Uh, But instead, Dave, you get to say it. So that's good. You have been listening to The Effect Podcast. Presented by Fiction Suit and the RPG Gods. Music stars on a black sea. Used with permission of Free League Publishing.